Well, Merry Christmas once again, everybody. Again, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at GPC, and um, it's an honor to be with you here this morning. Uh, thank you for being here on Christmas morning, um, and Katie, thank you for, for sharing that with us uh, for sure. Um, you know, I, I don't know what you think about when you think about Christmas, but uh, what I want to talk about this morning with us is this idea of peace. And at Christmas time, we have a word that we think of when it comes to Christmas, and we think often of peace, but sometimes it feels like the least peaceful time of the year, if we're honest, uh, running around doing last-minute Christmas shopping and, and heading to people's homes and kids wanting things and getting up early for excitement around the Christmas season. Um, how many of you like a white Christmas? Yeah, how many of you enjoy that? All right. How many of you are not a white Christmas fan? Okay, yeah, fair enough. A couple of you, and you're hesitant to do it because I think there's potential fear in the room around you of like all the people who said they were into it. Um, I get it. So I, I, I'm funny, like I don't mind it, um, but I maybe like you, I don't like the shoveling afterwards and all that, but, but when there is a white Christmas and um, the snow settles in, I don't know about you, but where I live, when I wake up in the morning and it has snowed overnight, a few inches at least, um, the quiet that I hear is amazing. Can anyone relate to that? It's just whew, quiet, just so quiet. It's so different. And growing up in Barbados, um, I never had the opportunity for a white Christmas. Um, but I did have a similar uh, desire, and that is to, to find peace and quiet. Now, my white Christmas quiet in Barbados was actually snorkeling. And here's why. Because when you're snorkeling, you're going out a little bit from the shore. Once you're out into the deeper water, and you see the reef, you see the fish, you see the things that you should avoid, the um, sea urchins and all that. Anyway, as you're swimming along, sometimes I would just go underwater for a little bit. And when I go underwater, you know what I hear? Nothing. It's so quiet. And then I would like hold my body limp and just let it float in the water. And then my parents thought I was dead. And so I had to not do that and come out of that. But what I loved and wanted to, to experience was the absolute quiet. I wanted peace. It's such a delightful thing to experience that peace, you know, to have that sense of quiet. And this morning, as we talk about this, this series and what Jesus really does, you're joining us in the last installment of a nine-part series called What Jesus Really Does. I've been trying to make the case over and over and over again that what Jesus really does is it's not that Jesus is just an image or an icon or a vibe or a brand, that he's just someone that we throw out there to, to make things better, um, but that Jesus actually does some things very particularly. And Paul, an early follower of Jesus, was writing to a, a, a town and people who were learning to know about Christ. And in that town, in Colossae, he shared a number of things about what Jesus really does. And today, on this final episode, if you will, final installment of what Jesus really does, what we're going to see is this, is that when I ask the question, what does Jesus really do? Really simply, really simply, Jesus actually brings peace. He actually brings peace. Now, I hope, I hope, it's a simple message, I hope that you can hear it, and I hope that you can remember it and maybe see it for maybe the first time or a deeper time during this Christmas morning. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to uh, the letter that Paul wrote to Colossians in the right two-thirds of your Bible in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning, beginning at verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair near you. But on this Christmas morning, when we celebrate the fact that that Christ came to earth as a baby, as a gift to us, what he brings to us is so much peace and in such a way that sometimes it's even hard to imagine what it could possibly look like. It feels sometimes like a pipe dream. So let's look at verse 
verses 12 through 17 this morning as we get into, um, as we get into the text here this morning. I'm going to read verses 12 to 14 and then pause here real quick. So Paul is saying, um, therefore, now verse 12, whenever you see a therefore, many of you heard this before, you always ask what it is there for, where it came from. And where this is coming from in the, in the section just prior, as Paul is talking about just prior, how um, there's such diversity in the body of faith, and there should be such diversity in the body of faith. Um, all versions of diversity in the body of faith, and when that happens, people who are very different coming together, there's going to be people who bump into each other because their past and their present and their values, their worldview is so different. And so he's trying to acknowledge that there's great diversity, but then he's trying to bring people together around a unifying principle so there can be peace in the body. And here's what he says in verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Does that sound familiar? Like maybe something that we just did up here a few minutes ago? Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone Excuse me, I have a piece of scarf in my mouth. It's actually true. All right. That's over now. All right. We go on. The last part of verse 13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I'm never going to put a scarf on again. All right. It's still there. There we go. It's a gift that keeps on giving. There we go. All right. Thanks for that, Katie. That was great. Some of you wear scarves, and I think, anyway, I'm going to leave. I'm going to move on. I better move on. Anyway, that's great. Um, so here's what I love about this verse. I love the opening part where Paul begins in verse 12, and he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Um, and I just want to encourage you not to run by that too quickly, uh, because what he's doing in that opening phrase is he's, uh, he's giving to this group of people who are Gentiles, who are not, generally, not Jews, not known as God's chosen people, He's saying, you guys are now God's chosen people. And this is a big deal that he's naming them this way because in the Old Testament, the idea of being God's chosen people brought with it such blessing and such an identity, such a marker, that in the Old Testament, you had covenants with patriarchs of the faith, Abraham, Moses, David, even Noah, even Adam, where God, through these people, made covenants with and promised blessing and protection um, for people who were his chosen people. And that meant that there were people who were not his chosen people. To be designated as such in the Old Testament meant that you came under the direction and the blessing of God. And so now what Paul is doing in a really miraculous way, he's saying to Gentiles who have no history in the Jewish world and have no history in some of these covenants, it seems like at least at first glance, he's saying you, you are, you're God's chosen people. Now for us, that may just be like, oh, whatever. But it's such a big deal. It's such a big deal to be named that way. It's as if you all of a sudden go one day from, from being out to, to the next day being, being in and protected and under the blessing and sovereign care of God. And so he's opening it up and saying, you're, you're God's chosen people. You are now known, not just Jews, you all, Gentiles too, you can be known, should be known as God's chosen people. Holy, set apart, and then dearly loved. I love that. Dearly loved. I don't know where you sit with Christianity, and maybe on this Christmas, some of you are just, um, just stepping back in to give things a try again and to kind of reconnect with God for a minute, and I, I love that, and I just encourage that, 
Um, and I, I bet if we were to talk, your history would be one of, um, that I could really appreciate and learn from. Uh, maybe you've had some past pain or hurt even in the church or in your own personal life. I'd love to hear more about that. But here's what Paul says to those who believe in Jesus Christ, that we are fundamentally dearly loved. And I don't know if you've felt that before. I don't know if you set in or felt the weight of the beauty of that before, that the motivation for why we serve and how we serve and how we try to follow God is not a motivation to try to please a merciless heavenly father. It's not a desire to um, impress somebody with how awesome we are and consistent we are and amazing we are, but that out of this position of being dearly loved, we can function with confidence and settledness. We're dearly loved. You're dearly loved by Heavenly Father who has you under his chosen care, which is amazing. So in light of all of that, there's three things and then four that he tells us to look at. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Just like Katie described up here, all these amazing qualities. These are amazing qualities. I'm not going to describe all of them because I want to... to Put them all together in a big picture. Verse 13, not only clothe yourself, but the second active thing to do is then to bear with each other and forgive. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And it gets even harder in verse 14. And then over all of these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So this is an incredible picture, almost like, and I would put it this way, it's almost like you can imagine a community of faith with so many people in different perspectives and different backgrounds. This is like a white Christmas community for a minute. Paul is picturing, here's what a white Christmas would look like. If you clothe yourself with this, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and if everybody in here, if everybody in here and online, everybody in this space, if we all could do that with incredible consistency, and then if we could say, you know what, there's going to be times and we're still going to bump into each other, but I'm going to bear with you, and you're going to bear with me. And then let's add something that's even harder. We're going to forgive you because there's times I've offended you and times you've offended me, but we're going to choose to forgive deeply. We're going to forgive so much at the end of verse 13. I'm going to forgive as the Lord forgave me. And so inasmuch as I look at what God has done for me, I'm going to take what God has done for me, and we read in Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for me. So as much as Christ came to me, while I was still in my sin, before you even apologize to me, I'm going to come to you so much that I'm going to forgive you as the Lord forgave me, because that's what, that's what I do. And then if that's not enough, what we're going to do in verse 14, over all of these virtues, put on love. As if that's not enough to do, to be compassionate, kind, gentle, patient, forgiving, and bear with each other, and all the grievances, and all that. If that's not enough, that doesn't cover it all. Let me just add a little bit more snow to you, right? Let me add a little bit more to bring peace and quiet. Let me add a little bit more so that in community, when, you, when we make noise and kind of run into each other and all that, we can settle and love over all of those things. So that you wake up and you come to a community where you feel the peace of a white Christmas. You feel that things are settled you feel that you belong. You feel safe coming from a place where you know you're part of God's chosen people. You're dearly loved, holy. And you engage in a community where people like this treat you with such peace, kindness, and mercy. And your soul can breathe and be settled. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, how easy is that, right? Right? 
Now, some of you are sitting there like, well, that's pretty cool that you can describe that like that then, but I haven't ever experienced anything like that, right? The question becomes, how in the world do you do that? Because what I'm describing is really idealistic, right? It really is. It really is. It really is. It's a big deal. I mean, these, these things are a big deal. I mean, when, when, when Paul is laying this out, this, is, this feels beyond reach. And so as I was thinking about this, I'm like, well, how do, you, how do you do this, right? Like, how do you do this? This is a big thing that Paul's calling the new church to, the new believers to. I mean, how do you actually do this? And I've come to the conclusion there's a couple options. Um, one option is this. You can just try. I'm going to use my Connecticut ties here. You can, you can try wicked hard, all right? That's a New England word. You can try wicked hard, all right? That's, that's one option. So option number one, you can just try wicked hard. You can just keep trying. Like, you can just be an amazing Christian. Just be as compassionate as you know how and then try harder more. You can be as kind as you know how and then try even harder to do that. You can be gentle. You can write things down. You can memorize things. You can read stuff. You can meditate. You can fast. You can focus. You can do whatever. You can be accountable. You can just try wicked hard. Bear with each other. You can forgive people to the point where people are like, man, they're running over you. You need to stand up for yourself. And you're like, no, 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 I'm just forgiving. And I'm going to put on love on top of it all. And you can just try, as we say, wicked hard, right, in the New England states, all right? You can, you can try wicked hard. And I, I have to admit, there are times when I've done that. And I don't know if you have or not. But here's what I found in my experience. That has a shelf life. I mean, that's like a sprint for the marathon of life. And sometimes you can do that for a year or two or three or six, but you can't carry that for a lifetime. It's exhausting. It's joyless. It doesn't come out of a position where you feel dearly loved by a heavenly father. It comes from a position where you're trying to work hard to show the father that you're worth being dearly loved. And so you can try wicked hard, so to speak. But there's another option too, and there's another option that I think some people take, and that is not try wicked hard, but actually lower the standards and be cool with average. <laughs> Like, that's option two. Like, man, this seems too much to, to be kind and patient and loving and bear and forgive and add love and all that. That's just way too high. So what we're going to do is we're going to just lower it, and we're going to, instead of love our enemies, we're going to love our friends and tolerate our enemies. How about that? Can we do that? And then can I leave if things don't work right? Can I move on from a relationship? Can I get a different job? Can I move to a different part of the state if things aren't working out? Can I just, for the things that are hard, I'm not going to get angry at you. I'm not going to scream at you, but I'm just going to get out. Like, I don't want to bear with you. I don't have to. Not here. Not here in this country. I don't have to, right? I'm free to move away because I don't have to bear with and forgive. But I'm not going to make a big deal. But I'm just going to lower the standards a little bit, and then I'm going to be okay with the fact that, you know, hey, I've, I've tried my best. I'm decent. I'm a decent human being. People generally like me. I'm respectable in the community. But I'm not going to live to these standards because, honestly, who does? So let's just all agree a little bit to lower them for a minute. All right? Bear with most things. Forgive not as the Lord forgave you, but forgive as you forgive me. And so if you don't forgive me, I don't have to forgive you. Fair enough? Deal? All right, deal. Let's just lower it. That's option two. Option three, option three is to find our centering on Christ. And here's what I mean. Where Paul goes next is super important. What he does in verses 12 to 14, he uses active verbs to describe what we should do. Clothe yourself, bear with each other, forgive each other, love. Those are things that we should actively do. And then all of a sudden in verse 15, he shifts where we are passive. We receive something. We have to acknowledge something. Look at verse 15 and into 16 with me. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
You notice right away in verse 15 and in verse 16, he's saying, let, let. In other words, allow it. In other words, you're not the one who brings the peace of Christ. I'm not the one who brings the peace of Christ. It exists, it's here, and it's now my opportunity to, to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. As members of one body, I was called to peace with you. So the third option is not just try wicked hard and also not just lower the standards, but the third option is to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart because this is what Jesus really does. He actually brings peace. He can bring a centering to me and to you in community so that when I'm in angst with you and you with me, what do I focus on? Let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. Let it, let it, let it. So the peace of Christ, let me just throw away any kind of misconception we have about the peace of Christ being soft and like a Hallmark movie for a minute. Listen, peace, the opposite of peace is going to be, you can name it, it can be war, it can be conflict, it can be adversity, it can be anxiety. And so peace exists where adversity, conflict, war, whatever, doesn't. And so when we have when we see what Jesus did, he brought peace, meaning he conquered death, which is the very thing that brings anxiety, fear, war, battling, fighting with each other. So what Jesus did is he didn't just sit around and be like, you know what we need to do, everybody? We just need to, everybody relax for a minute, close your eyes, let's meditate for a few seconds on things, breathe in, breathe out. Relax. If someone is bothering you, just set the message outside of your mind. Move on from them here. Move on from them there. I'm not against meditation, by the way. But what Jesus did is he didn't say, you know what we should do? We should just ignore the people who are hard to get along with. Here's, here's how I'm going to bring peace. I'm not going to bring peace during your family gathering because everybody knows that at the table that person's weird over there. They struggle over here. We all know that we have conflict in the family. So we'll just you'll get peace when you go home. All right, That's when you'll get peace. But what if you can get peace in the middle of the table? What if you can get peace there? Because what Jesus actually does, when he brings peace, he doesn't just say peace will come when you're separate, when you're removed, when you're out of the conflict. Because Jesus not only was born, but because he went to death, it is the very fact that he looked at death and conquered death that he can bring peace and he can deliver it. He was tortured on a cross. And that victory over death is what brings to me and brings to you peace. That's what the Christian message is. So peace isn't in a soft little message over here that you know what, you just need to, to memorize more Bible verses and you'll be fine. I don't know. That may be part of it. But the functional, the, the essence of Jesus' peace is that he came and he conquered death. So here's the deal with me. I don't know about you. I lose my peace when death takes over, all right? I lose my peace when I give in to the fear of death. Death in relationships, for example. Like, what if, what if I no longer see them? What if they don't like us or me anymore? What if they move on and do something else? I can get anxiety over the death of relationships. You know, I can get anxiety over the death of I mean, finances, for example, right? Like, hey, what if we don't have enough to do what we want to do over here? There's a fear of the death, if you will, of a dream. What if you don't turn out to be what you thought you were going to be five years ago, 20 years ago? Right, what, what if all of a sudden the health that you're dealing with in your own family is going to kill the dreams of your future or your present. 
and you're looking at a health scare that's really significant and you don't have an answer to it right now, what is that? It's an invitation of death to kneel to it, give into it, give into the fear of death because something is going to happen. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart is what Paul says. Let it rule in your heart. Jesus' peace is the kind of peace that confronted death and conquered it. And so for the Christian, for the Christian, there is no space that death can get over that Christ hasn't already conquered. That's why the peace of Christ can rule. And that's why he says, let it. In other words, I can't make it. I just have to let it. It's not unlike the snow that falls. I didn't make it. I just have to let it. I have to wake up and acknowledge, you know what? When I'm in conflict with you and I don't like this and you're in conflict with me, what can I do? I can just try super hard to be kind and patient, and sometimes I should. But I can also take a minute to center on the peace of Christ and what he's done for me and what he's done for you. And that is the message in the story, not only of Christmas, but of Easter, the story of the gospel, that Jesus came and died for me and he died for you. He goes on and pushes us further in verse 16. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs in the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. What does that mean? I think the preposition there is important. The message of Christ is dwelling among you richly. And here's how I see this, that I think there are different spheres in our relationships. We have a relationship with ourselves, how we relate to ourselves, what we see, how we function within ourselves. We also have a relationship with God. And then I have a relationship with you, singular. And then I have a relationship with the Texas you. You all know the Texas you? I have a relationship with y'all, all right? I have a relationship with y'all. So I have a relationship with you individually as the other, but then I also have a relationship with y'all, plural, all right? And in those four spheres of relationships, how I relate to myself, to God, to you, singular, and to you, plural, there are things that fill in the gaps in the singular you and plural you, and you and y'all. There's things that fill in the gaps, right? So when I do something that you don't like, and you're not sure, why in the world did they send that email? Why in the world did he put it that way? Why in the world did they make that decision? And you weren't able to be there in the room when the decision was made, and you're unsure of why it was made and all that. You know, what can you do with the space that exists between me and you? You can fill it with doubt. You can fill it with fear. You can fill it with trust. You can fill it with confidence. You can fill it with love. You can fill it with mercy. You can fill it with all kinds of things. You know, when we're upset and we don't understand and we get hurt by each other, there's gaps that exist among you and me and among y'all. And what Paul is saying is in the message, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. The way I see that, is it's almost as if it's almost as if we're 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 this is I'm making this up right now so pardon me if this is wrong or bad it's almost as if we're bricks in a wall and I'm starting to think of a song that played on my cafeteria um, jukebox all of a sudden another brick in the wall and this is not where the message is going it doesn't bring me peace at all it brings me anxiety to go back to that I think I'd rather eat a scarf than listen to that again. But if you imagine bricks that have no mortar around them at all, okay, what I think Paul is trying to communicate here is let the message of Christ in a way be that mortar that goes around everything and binds them together. Right? Let, let the message of Christ dwell among you because if it doesn't, there's going to be things that fill in those gaps. And if the mortar isn't good, it doesn't hold. 
So when I'm upset with you and you're frustrated with me, what can easily settle into those joints is bitterness, distrust, distance, anger, fear, anxiety. And then I just begin to take a step away from you. It's subtle, but it's there. And I begin to take a step away and away and away. And at some point then, I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm out. And what he's saying to this new community is, let the message of Christ dwell among you, in between you, that instead of having anxiety and fear over things that are confusing, what if you filled it, allowed it to be filled with the peace of Christ? What if instead of, what if in, instead of judgment, I, I offered forgiveness? What if, what if instead, of, instead of condemnation, I bore with you? What if instead of of lack of mercy, I showed you mercy and kindness, and I clothed myself with patience, with humility, with gentleness, so that the things that bind us come from the peace of Christ that rules in my heart, and they're the mortar that bonds us together, that they dwells among us. So what I see, what I see in this series is that Jesus actually does something for us. He's not just an image, an icon, or a vibe. So when I ask this question, what is it that Jesus really does? What does he really do? What I see is this. Again, Jesus brings peace. When I say that, I mean that he brings a kind of peace that conquers death. It it isn't soft. It isn't soft. It can handle any kind of fear, anxiety, pain, and death that you've experienced or are experiencing. And I know many are very significant. And you think of this Christmas season right now, what is, what is going on? This little baby being born in the manger, beautiful, beautiful message, the incarnation of Christ, God taking on human flesh, that peace is born in that manger that day, and then grows up to face a kind of torturous death on a cross that none of us would ever want to face, and then conquers that death to what end? That the peace of Christ that saw and faced the ugliest of this world, that the peace of Christ might rule, might rule in your heart and in mine. That I can wake up and in community, I can rest for a minute and feel, there's a white Christmas here. Yeah, not because we're all awesome, not because I'm even the most kind or patient person, but because I routinely tell myself the story of the gospel over and over and over again. And of all things in this series that I would long for you to be able to do, and me, is to keep reminding myself of the story of Jesus over and over and over again. What does Jesus really do? He brings peace. He brings real peace, relationally, spiritually, to us. I think that would be a pretty crazy Christmas miracle if you had a relationship right now that was strained. Someone you can't get along with a fear of yours and anxiety, a health concern, a fear of the unknown of the future, that you could settle in for a minute and say, ah, I'm afraid of death here. I'm afraid of death. What's the story of the gospel? Jesus came, born in the manger, faced death, conquered it, conquered it, conquered it. And your fear of loneliness, of missing a spouse this season, Your grief around that is real. Your pain is real. There's also a fear of death that comes, that things may never go back to the way they were in the beauty of what was. But the peace of Christ rule in your heart 
there's a family member you just simply cannot resonate with. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the peace of Christ, let it, let it, let it rule in your heart. Tell yourself the story of the gospel again and again and again and again. Jesus loves you. And at this Christmas season, he came to bring you peace. And that's a message I hope you never forget. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be here this morning on Christmas morning to gather around this incredibly powerful moment of the incarnation of Jesus where God took on flesh. I pray for us as men and women, young men and young women, older men and women, single, married, those who are walking through health concerns, the loss of loved ones, relational anxieties, family stress. God, there's so much anxiety and death that sits at our door all the time. We're quick to judge. We're quick to think that we know what we would have done in that situation. But I pray that you would let the snow fall, if you will, to bring peace for a minute of compassion, mercy, kindness, bearing with each other, forgiving as the Lord forgave us, and above it all, to put on love. But not just because we strive wicked hard, but because we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. So, Father, I pray that you would give us courage tell ourselves the story of the gospel over and over and over again knowing that Jesus really does he really does bring peace and he really does love us Father we thank you for this Christmas morning in Jesus name Amen